Welcome to the Ark Church Podcast. On here, you'll find all of our Sunday and Wednesday messages, as well as classes and special services. If you would like more information about the Ark Church, visit us at thearkchurch.com or download our app available to all app stores. Our heart for you is that you would live for God, grow stronger, and make a difference. Enjoy. 1977, a man named Jim Fix wrote a book called The Complete Book of Running. It was said to revolutionize the fitness industry in America. People started running, people started getting in shape. It started this, the whole thing, 1977. He shocked the world seven years later when at the age of 52, Jim Fix died while running. That is not funny. Why are you guys laughing at that? He, he actually died of a heart attack. And what they found out was that Jim Fix, even though he was in such great shape on the outside, so strong on the outside, he had a heart, a genetic heart problem, and he wasn't strong on the inside. Next few weeks, I'm going to be talking about inside strong, how you can become strong on the inside, regardless of what's going on on the outside. And that is such a key because when you're strong on the inside, then you have the ability to handle things better on the outside. When you're strong in here, then you handle things better out there. Now, just think about how the fact that when your perspective is strong, it'll help you face the future. Right now, we're dealing with so many things in our country, so many things in our economy, so much uncertainty. And some people, it, 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 they handle it differently. Well, some people just ignore it and deny it. Like, they don't see it. They're kind of like, you know, if I don't see it, it's not happening. And um, that, I don't know how effective that is as a strategy. Certainly doesn't help you prepare for anything but they ignore and deny. Some people are very optimistic. They look at the future and they go, I just believe that we're going back to a better day. Optimistic, like Morris. Morris was 82 years old. He goes and sees his doctor for his annual checkup. A few days later, the doctor sees Morris. He's walking down the street and on his arm is a gorgeous girl. She couldn't have been more than 35. And uh, he was a little puzzled by that. So when he ran to Morris two days later at, uh, at a restaurant, he, doctor looked at him, he said, well, Morris, you seem to be doing great. Morris said, yep, doc, I'm doing exactly what you said. You said, get a hot mama and be cheerful. <laughs> Doctor said, I did not say that, Morris. I said, you've got a heart murmur, be careful. <laughs> Some people are just optimistic about life. Some people have selective hearing. And so there's another thing though, that as people face the future often, we're dealing now with people who are uncomfortable with the uncertainty in the future. They look around and they go, there's just so many things going on. And they're uncomfortable with not knowing what's going to happen next, but there actually is a better way to face it. And the better way to face it is as a position of strength, it's to be strong and with a confidence in God. The psalmist said this in Psalms 112, it's a great psalm, one of my favorites. It says, surely the righteous will never be shaken they will be remembered forever. They will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Their hearts are secure. They will have no fear. In the end, they will look in triumph on their foes. I love where it says they're not shaken. You know, things can happen. They say, but I'm, I'm not rattled. I'm not shaken. I'm not afraid of bad news. Well, who gets to take that position? This is someone whose heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. This psalm starts off in verse 1 by saying, blessed is the man who fears the Lord. And really, that's more than just a religious phrase. That's a strength position. It says, 
I respect God and I believe in God and I trust God and because I do, I'm not afraid of what's coming. It's a heart that's fixed. A number of years ago, 2005, is when we first moved into this, this part of the building. And when we moved in in May, we were always working and getting things together. And I believe it was in September that I, I, I misspoke this morning. I thought it was, it was Ike, it was Rita that was coming up the Gulf. And it was Rita that was, at one point in time, was a Category 5 and headed right for Houston. And I remember just going into the prayer room we have up here and praying. And I'm, and I'm seriously praying. I'm like, Lord, we just built this building. This is when I reminded the Lord that this was his house. <laughs> Lord, well, this is yours. This belongs to you. And uh, I, I went and was praying and just praying. And, and I, I can't explain how. But I was, I was standing up and just kind of walking and praying. And all of a sudden, just in my heart, I knew it was going to be okay. I knew it was going to be all right. My heart was fixed. And I walked out of there. I was good. If you remember when Hurricane Rita hit, people began to evacuate Houston. And I-45 was a parking lot from here all the way to Dallas. And uh, we, we didn't leave. I told, told my family, I said, I just... I, Man, I feel fixed in this. I feel good in this. We're staying here. And my children were somewhat relieved because they would rather face a Category 5 hurricane at home than be with me in a car that's in a parking lot on, on I-45. They're like, no, we'll, no, we'll take the hurricane over Dad when we're not moving. But what I'm saying is this. I, I had reached a fixed position. I was trusting in the Lord. You say, well, Alan, what, what if the hurricane had hit here? Well, that's certainly a time to trust in the Lord. But it didn't, and we were spared. Trusting in God, the right choice, a heart choice. There's a great story in the Old Testament about people, the nation of Israel, having to make a heart choice. Israel, as they begin to divide as a nation, Judah went one way, Israel, 10 tribes went the other way. And uh, the 10 tribes of Israel had a history of very bad kings. And those bad kings, it started with Solomon. Solomon started getting off. He married all those women. They brought their foreign gods in. He started building temples for the foreign gods. When God said, you can only have one god, that's me. And so king after king after king started idol worship in the nation of Israel, a nation that was separated and dedicated to God. And you're like, what in the world's going on with that? That caused problems, and the kings just seemed to get worse, and finally they got to King Ahab, and he's worst of all. Married a mean woman named Jezebel. Don't ever name your child Jezebel. That is not a good biblical name. <laughs> Married a mean woman named Jezebel, and uh, she was a Sidonian. She wasn't even Jewish, and she brought her fertility goddess into the picture. And, man, it was just things had changed so dramatically, and a drought hit Israel. Three and a half years, there was no rain. You think about what that would do for us. Think about it, in an agricultural society, it was devastating. And so their, their whole society now was in drought. And Elijah was a prophet at that time. And Elijah came to Ahab and proposed a winner-take-all battle. He said, what I'm proposing is you get all the prophets of Baal and that, and that other goddess up there, and, and I'll go against them, and we'll take two bulls, and we'll, we'll lay them on the altar and then you pray to your God, and I'm going to pray to my God, and the God that answers by fire, he's the real God. They thought, okay, that's a good deal. 850 prophets versus one. But then Elijah talked to the people of Israel, and he challenged them to make a choice. Look what he says. 
Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. See, that would have been a good time for them to speak up. But they're, they're wavering. Follow Baal, we got God here, and they're back and forth. So they start the, they start the showdown. Elijah said, y'all got so many, y'all go first. He probably didn't say y'all, but I'm just, I'm giving you the Texas version of this. And as they, as they begin to call on their God and begin to, to cry out, they're not getting any answer. They're calling for fire. Elijah already said, you can't put any fire underneath it. The, the, um, the pagan practices at that time in their temples, they would build chambers underneath the altars where they could send fire up and act like it came from their God. Fake news has been around a long time. <laughs> and so Elijah said, you can't do that. You can't put fire underneath it. And so they, they, they went on for a long time and Elijah starts talking trash to them because they're not getting, this is really, this is Old Testament spiritual smack talk. Look what he's, look what he's saying. He says, at noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he's a God. Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy. Now that word busy was a kind word that the translators added. The word, the word in the actual Hebrew means pursuing, which means he has gone to relieve himself. He has gone, maybe he's in the bathroom. It's basically what, I'm told you, he's, this is Old Testament smack talk. He's deep in thought or he's busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears as was their custom until their blood flowed. At midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time of the evening sacrifice, but, but there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention because he's not a real God. And they began to, man, can you imagine the drama in this? All those prophets are slashing themselves. There's blood flowing out. They're prophesying and making all these predictions that are empty, but there's no answer and no response. No one paid attention. Boy, that's the story of false gods. They don't answer. They don't respond. They don't pay attention. Elijah, after about the time of the evening sacrifice, he basically said, you boys are done. It's my turn. And he called the people to him and he, and he, he asked him to come close and he repaired the altar of God that had been broken. So many times people have a, a, an altar that's been broken. They had one, but it's been neglected. And he built it again. And he put the bull on the altar, but then he did something very unusual. He got a bunch of water and he began to pour water on the bull and on the, on the wood. They had dug a trench around the altar. He poured so much water on there that it, the whole thing was waterlogged and it filled the trench with water. And basically what Elijah is saying is, there's nothing fake here. Because if God takes this out with fire, you know it's God. So he called the people to him and the people came close and we'll see what happens. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I'm your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so that these people will know that you, Lord, are God and you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and 
burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, and licked up the water in the trench. And when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. That was a, that was a smart move right there. They, when, when God, but the beautiful thing about it is when God answered, he not only answered by fire, he only consumed the bull. He got the wood, the stones, the water, the soil. He got it. When God does it, he does it in a big, big way. And he just did it in a big way. But notice what he wanted. He wanted to turn the hearts of the people back to him. He wanted their hearts turned back. They'd been wavering between two opinions. He's like, you can't live that way. That's a weak way to live. You can't go that way. How long will you falter? How long will you waver? He wanted their hearts. And when that fire fell, they fell. And they said, the Lord is God. And then on that day, the drought ended. The blessings had been withheld. But when their hearts turned back, the blessings came. Inside things change outside things. Inside strong, boy, it helps in all ways outside. You say, well, then how can I make that right choice, that heart choice, to make God God? Because that's a fixed heart. And a fixed heart is inside strong. When you make that decision, you go, you know, I'm fixed in this. That's inside strong. Here's the first thing we have, we have to understand this. We have to understand that there is a pull in this world that we're living in. There's a pull that is away from God. It's like, you ever been, you've been to the beach and you've gone in the water, maybe you've been you know, body surfing or, or just riding the waves and playing, having a good time, and you come out of the water and you start looking for your towel and you're like, where is it? And you realize you're way down from where you were. And you didn't realize that the whole time you were in the water, there's a pull that was pulling you. That's the way it is that we're living in, the world we're living in. It's a pull away from God. And when Paul was writing to the church at Rome, it happened then, it happens now. He's writing to the church at Rome. He says this in Romans 12. He says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the view of God's mercy, His kindness, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you may prove, test to prove what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So he's saying there's a pull that it's going. He said, so you gotta do one thing. So you gotta do one thing. We all have a fleshly nature. That fleshly nature does not want to love God, serve God, do anything for God. It wants what it wants. He said, but you have to make that a living sacrifice. What do you mean a living sacrifice? Kicking and screaming is when you have to put it on the altar. In other words, you're saying to your flesh, no. You're going to have to tell your flesh, no. Your flesh is still going to want to do some of the things, same things it did, and you tell it no. So he's saying, I'm, I'm begging you. He said, he said, make your body a living sacrifice. But then he says this. He said, and don't be patterned like the world. Don't be conformed and molded into the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You begin to think differently. You begin to, your perspective begins to change. And instead of thinking of a, of a world, there's so many people out there, they don't even acknowledge God. They don't even believe God exists or they, maybe they give lip service to it. But we're living differently because we believe God's real. We believe he, he hears prayer. He answers prayer. He cares about us. We believe in him. And because we believe in him, it, it causes us to change our perspective. But we need that as a reminder. It says you've got to renew your mind. A man named Maurice Estrella, Mauricio Estrella, went to work one day, worked at a corporate uh, facility, opened his computer up, and he got an alert. Your password has expired. Put in a new password. Well, this is not what he needed. You ever had one of those days where even little things can just bug you? 
And he just like, he got up, he didn't have breakfast, he had a meeting, he was late for the meeting, he was running, and so now he's gotta change his password every 30 days. And not only that, he had just gone through a brutally emotional divorce. And it had driven Mauricio Estrella into deep depression. And so as he's looking at that cursor, just blinking at him, Mauricio made a decision. He said, I'm gonna use the password to change my life. And on his password, he wrote, forgive her. That was his password. So every morning when he would come and open it up, forgive her. After every lunch break, forgive her. When he closed out, forgive her. He said, forgive her became a mantra. He said, and the constant reminder helped him to deal with what happened at the end of his marriage, but then begin to embrace the ways that he could move forward and get out of this deep depression it was driving him into. What did he do? He kept something in front of him all the time. Guys, this is one of the reasons I constantly encourage people. The, one of the values of church, you're like, well, okay, I just come to church, but it's a lot of the same stuff. No, I'll tell you what it is. It's a constant reminder that there's a God, that he's real, that serving him is valuable, that you can do that. When you read your Bible, it's a constant reminder that the word of God is true, that this is eternity. It's a long time. And it, it begins to help us renew our mind. We need that constant reminder if we're going to have a fixed heart if we're going to be inside strong. Second thing we need to know is this, is that it, a, a, a heart, we have to make the quality decision about who is going to be God in our life. Quality decision about who's going to be God. Because I want to tell you something, guys. One of the weakest places we can be is wavering. Is, is you know, I, I love God, but then, I, you know, I got my life. And I've done that. And I came back to the Lord at age 18, I've been raised in church, 18, about 19, raised in church. Man, I had an experience with the Lord. But when I got back to college, I remember I had a whole fraternity of guys who didn't serve God. And when I came back, I wavered for a while. I wanted to serve God and love God, but I had all my party friends and they were constantly pulling me and I didn't make a quality decision and I fell back into that party lifestyle. Now, years later, when I, when after I, I met Joy and her life convicted mine and I came back to the Lord, I, I made a decision that like, I'm, a, I'm not going to waver. I'm not going to straddle the line. I said, I'm, I'm going to live for God. I'm going to serve God. That was 41 years ago. It still works. It's a, it's a, you say, well, it's because you're amazing. Nope. <laughs> it's because you're a preacher. No, I wasn't. I was a sales rep. But I made a quality decision. You say, well, you know, Alan, today we don't have other gods. <laughs> no, 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 Sparky, no, listen to me on this one. We do have other gods. It, maybe they're not idols that we go to their temples, but there's some people that culture is a god for them. Some people science is a god for them. Some people government is a god for them. Some people money is a god for them. Some people sex is a god for them. Some people living the party life is a god for them. Whatever's taking up your thoughts and your mind and consuming you has become of a god to you. And maybe you don't worship and bow down, but it's got you. And the key is you're wavering, but you don't have to waver. You can choose. You can choose and just make a quality decision. You don't have to make an emotional decision. You make a quality decision. By choosing God, you choose his son, Jesus. He who has the son has life. You choose Jesus. You bring him into the picture. You bring God into the picture. Now, there was a time when another man 
when he spoke to the nation of Israel and he told them, he said, you guys need to make a choice, but they responded well. Look at this. This is Joshua speaking to the nation of Israel. And he said, if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the God your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. But then the people answered, far be it, they answered, far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. There needs to be an answer in us. When the question rises, who are you going to serve? There needs to be an answer that rises up big in us. We're going to serve God. Me and my household, we're serving the Lord. There's a lot of other gods, but I, I, tr I serve the one true, powerful, living God who answers, who, has, who, has, who pays attention. The only one who cares for me. Science is good, but science doesn't care for you. Government? <laughs> I won't even go there. Culture? How many of these things don't care? And yet we have a God that numbers the hairs on our head. I serve him. And you make that, when you make a quality decision, said, this is where, this is where I stand. Someone says, are you a Christian? Don't waver on that. Absolutely. Or you just got religion. Mm -mm. I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I live for him. I serve him. That's, a, that's an answer. There needs to be an answer in this when the world goes, you going to serve God? You want to go, absolutely yes. 100% all in, not wavering. And the last thing is this. When you make a, a fixed decision, a quality decision, that's, a, that's an inside strong place. You can put that third point up and say, choosing God is a fixed heart, and a fixed heart is inside strong. Paul wrote Timothy, and he told him, he wrote him this. He said in 1 Timothy, he said, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. He said, for physical training is of some value, but godliness, or living for God, has value for all things. It holds promise for both the present life and the life to come. Guys, do you realize and, and maybe, maybe don't. If you're young, you're in your, your teens or you're in your 20s, you think you're going to live forever. And as you begin to get older, you realize life is really short. You want this life to count. But you also realize that there's a life to come. And it's a long time. And so we want that life to count as well. And with God, we have a chance. You choose to serve God, it'll profit you in this life. Oh, it'll make a, oh, what a blessing. I can tell you, and there's a lot of us who can testify, if it hadn't been for God, my marriage wouldn't have made it, I wouldn't have made it, I wouldn't be here, my kids wouldn't be here. There's so many of us that can testify that God has been good, he has been good to you. I hope you got an answer for that. I hope you can say, yes, yes, God is good. And if you, if you ever catch yourself saying, well, you know, he hadn't done anything for me. Listen, your salvation is enough to sing about every day of your life because you'll be singing about it every day in eternity as you get to spend it with God in his presence and that's so good. That is worth it all right there. And when you choose that, you have chosen a strong life now and the life to come. That's a, that's a no-lose proposition. That's a winning proposition right there. But it's got to be a heart decision because a fixed heart is a strong heart. There's a, a preacher, his name is Tim Keller. He's a great author. He said he's got a relative that uh, uh, never wears a seatbelt. He said he'd get in, the, get in the vehicle, never wore a seatbelt, wouldn't put his seatbelt on. They're like, you need to put your seatbelt on. No, nah, he's not wearing a seatbelt. 
and they ragged on him for a long time. Finally, one day, Tim said this relative got in the car with him and immediately buckled up. And Tim went, what happened to you? The guy said, well, I went to see a friend who was in the hospital. He wasn't wearing his seatbelt and he had a car accident and he went face first through the windshield. He said he had over 200 stitches in his face. He said, never since that day, he said, I've had no problem buckling up. And Tim started kind of picking at him. He said, well, did you get new information? Did you not know that people could go through a, a windshield? He said, I already knew the answer to that. Of course he knew that. But what happened was he experienced something that took an abstract proposition and all of a sudden made it real to him. Jonathan Edwards says, for something to really connect, you have to attach yourself to a truth. But when you attach yourself to God's truth, that's when it begins to change you. We've said it here for years. When it becomes personal, it becomes powerful. When you choose Jesus, and when you say, I'm going to live for him, that's a personal decision. That's a powerful decision. And that begins to change everything. Here and eternity. Would you bow your head for a moment? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. No one's looking around. We're not trying to embarrass anybody, but you're here and you say, you know what, Alan, I, I, I've wavered. Man, I have been wavering between two opinions. Trying to serve God, trying, trying to live in the world, it, it's, been, it's, been, it's been challenging, and it is. It'll wear you out. Or maybe you're saying, Alan, I don't even know that I have a relationship with the Lord. I, I don't know that I've asked Jesus Christ to be the Lord and Savior of my life, but I want to do that. We're going to do that this morning. We're not going to have you stand up or come down to the front, but sitting right in your chair, right where you are. You have an opportunity to make a quality decision, a fixed decision to choose God, to choose Jesus, to choose life. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I am going to ask you to do this one thing. If that's you that I'm talking to, you say, Alan, I, this is me. I mean, you got me today. You're, you're talking to me. This is you. And you won't be in on this prayer. I'm just going to ask you real quick, shoot your hand up just across this auditorium. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Anybody else? Say, Alan, that's me. Would you pray for me? Thank you. Great. I got you. Way in the back. Yeah. You put your hands down. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. Maybe you didn't lift your hand and you really wanted to do that. That's okay. Again, this is a heart decision. So we're going to pray a prayer. And I'm going to lead you in it. Whole church family is going to join you. Maybe you're watching online and you're sitting there by yourself. If you're by yourself, I want you to pray this out loud with us. Maybe you're with others. Pray quietly. But you can pray this with us. We're going to pray this prayer together. This is a life-changing prayer. This is an eternity-changing prayer. So say, Dear God, I know mankind needs a Savior. I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ. Because I've said yes to you. Our heads are still bowed and eyes are closed. Father, thank you for those that prayed that prayer. Father, for those who stepped out of darkness into your marvelous light, for those who've come back home and you've welcomed them with open arms. So we thank you, Father, 
quality decisions that change everything, that fix their hearts. And we thank you. We rejoice in that. Father, for the rest of us, thank you that we have the choice to choose you, and we do. The choice to choose the God who cares, the God who pays attention, the God who answers. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope this message has blessed you. Don't forget to check us out on all the social platforms. We're uploading encouraging content on a regular basis. For more information, go to thearcchurch.com. Have a great week.